Hey guys, welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. I'm Judah Thomas, the lead pastor, and we thank you for joining us today as we discover what God's Word has to say to us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd encourage you to leave a rating, review, share it with your friends or family, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Welcome to Thrive Church. And, and you know, before we get going any further, I just want to let you guys know something. Today marks Thrive Church's six-month anniversary. So we've been going on this for six months. So if, if you've been here for, since the beginning, or if you serve in any area uh, here at Thrive Church, can you just stand up for a second? If you guys can just stand up. Let's, let's give these people just a big round of applause. You know, because it could not be done without... You guys, and I mean, we had people here at 7.30 this morning setting up, and, and it's just been such an amazing ride, and it's been so great to see what God has been doing here. Well, my name is Judah Thomas. I'm the pastor here at Thrive. We want to welcome you here uh, to Thrive Church, and we want to welcome those of you that are watching online as well as we celebrate Easter. Easter. You know, the interesting thing about Easter is, is it's not like you don't know what I'm going to talk about, right? I mean, you probably got an idea about it. And for those of you that maybe, maybe you're like the two-time-a-year you know, person, like, I'm going to go to church on Christmas and Easter. And that's great, but then, but then you, you come and you're like, how come every time I go, they're always talking about the same thing over and over again? Well, we do talk about other things, but on Easter, man, this is a time that we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And this is the best day that you could be here at church. This is perfect for anyone who's considering the possibility of maybe giving their life to Jesus Christ, who's considering putting their faith in Christ. And we're going to give you a chance to do that later on. Some of you are here, and you came here dragging your feet. You know, both feet are on the brakes, like, there is no way I'm going to church. But maybe somebody says, hey, if you come to church on Easter, I will buy you lunch. And you're like, hey, man, for lunch, I'll go. Or maybe your mom or your dad, they twisted your arm, like, okay, you're coming to church. Or maybe, maybe you're here because there's, like, some cute girl, and you're like, hey, man, I'll go with you anywhere, you know? And that's why we're here at church. But, and, and that's okay, because if you're going to come once a year or twice a year, today is the day to be here. This is the best possible time for you to come. Because we're going to be talking about the one thing that addresses your objections. Some of you here, are maybe your arms are crossed, maybe not on the outside, but inside you're like, yeah, yeah, let's see what this, this guy has to say. And, and we're coming in a little bit reserved. But I want to challenge you to put all that aside this morning. And I want to challenge you that during this service today that you would consider becoming a follower of Christ in spite of the fact that you know Christians, okay? Yeah, I know we, we all know some Christians and we're like, I don't want to be like you. But in spite of that, I want to challenge you to consider putting your faith in Christ. Maybe in spite of the fact that, that you work for a Christian, I want you to still consider, in spite of the fact that you grew up with a bunch of them and you knew what really went on, despite the fact that you think the church might be full of a bunch of hypocrites, I want you to still consider putting your faith 
in Jesus Christ. Even if you had a bad church experience at one time in your life, I want you to consider, or even if you had a professor at one point in time in your life that said, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you some new information. God doesn't exist. And with that, I want you to still consider giving your life to Christ. Consider even if you've had pain in your life, because we've all had pain at times in our life. Even if you've had prayers that have gone unanswered, I pray and I pray and God doesn't answer, I still want you to consider putting your faith in Christ. Even if you say, well, I lost my mother or father or my, my friend or my sibling, and they believed in God and I prayed and I wanted God to spare their life and, and they still died, I, I want you to still consider putting your faith in in Christ, even in spite of any questions that I can't even come up with and that may never get answered in your life, I want you to consider it because of Easter. See, because Easter is a detour, it's a shortcut around all of this. See, there's good news. This is really good news. The foundation of the Christian faith is not other Christians. That's good news, isn't it? Because, I mean, we know some are like, man, I'm glad it's not based on you. You know, the foundation of Christian faith is not other Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is not our behavior. The foundation of our faith is not on answered prayer. It's not on, on having all of our questions answered. The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate on Easter. This is history's greatest mystery. This is the greatest mystery of all history. And this addresses something that we have no explanation for. There's no explanation for the church. Did you know that on this day, around the world, there's over one billion people that are gathering together to worship a Jewish carpenter? A Jewish carpenter! And this Jewish carpenter, he only... He was only in the public eye for less than three years. He never traveled further than 30 miles from where he lived, and he never wrote a book. And yet people from all over the world, one-third of the world's population, are gathering together. They're singing songs in languages you've never even heard of. They've dedicated their lives to Jesus, and there's no good explanation for it, except for the explanation of Easter. This is history's greatest mystery. Have you heard of Nero before? Nero was a Roman emperor. And, and, and I bet you you can't name one thing that Nero did, except we know that Nero fed Christians to lions, and they say that he fiddled while Rome burned. Here's this great emperor, and he becomes a footnote to the story of Christianity. Caesar Augustus, the very first Roman emperor. Now, Caesar came in. He was the Roman emperor. He made some amazing uh, reforms in Rome. He made Rome a better place. But I bet you can't name one of them, unless if you're a historian or if you teach history. We can't name one of them. But at Christmas time, in countries all over the world that you've never been to before, and in languages that we've never heard spoken the name Caesar Augustus is mentioned as a footnote to the birth of a Jewish carpenter. Did you know that for 300 years, actually more than 300 years after Jesus died, there was no New Testament, there was no Bible. When they would gather together, they would not say, would you turn with me to the book of John or Ephesians or Philippians or Revelation or whatever. They would not say that because they did not have 
the Bible as we know it to even refer to. They would not get around and have Bible studies the way we do now. How did the church survive? How did it survive Rome? I mean, he was the great Roman Empire. And they didn't particularly like these followers of Christ. And then there was Judaism. Judaism saw Christians as a knockoff Jewish cult. And then the Jews and the Romans tag-teamed together and said, we're going to wipe these guys out once and for all. Now, there is no Roman Empire. And the amount of Christians on this planet greatly outnumber the amount of Jews. See, here was, here's what's not a mystery. What's not a mystery is how, how religions are formed, how civilizations change over time, how causes and movements start and make an impact. See, there's people that study this. How cultures change, how, how values rise and fall. And there's, they're all very similar. There's a science and art to it. There's patterns of how this happens. First, there's unrest. People are not happy with what's going on. Then there's factions and divisions that start to, to rise up. They're angry with each other. Then a charismatic leader emerges. And he starts to craft words and sentences. And he says things. And people come around and they say, what he's saying is what I've been thinking all along. I agree with what this person is saying. And they start to, to build a following. They start to introduce change, but then there's this old guard that resists the change. But as time progresses, momentum builds, and it beats the old way. And the new way comes, and a leader is now born. The leader becomes a hero. But then that hero eventually dies. And when that leader dies, people will gather around and say, what this guy said, that was good. We need to keep the dream alive. We need to keep moving this forward. We need to carry this to future generations. This happens all the time. This is how the world changes. Like Islam. I don't know if you know the story of, of Muhammad. It's a very interesting story. The Arabs, they all worshipped idols together. They worshipped all kinds of statues, idols, all kinds of different things. And then one day, a man came out of a cave saying that God spoke to him through an angel. And so he begins to share his teachings with his, with his family. And he begins to share the teachings with his villages and with the communities around. Apparently he was a gifted leader. And he started saying, we need to just serve one God, not all these idols. And he had this following, and the following grew and grew and grew. And he built an army. And then they went out and, and they, they, they took the, the Arab tribes from believing in idols, from worshiping idols, to now to worshiping one God. They started this new religion and Islam was born. He organized these people that didn't have religious literature. But in 632 AD, he died. But his followers gathered together and said, wait a minute. We can't just let this die. We have to keep this going. So there was some division. Some, some of them said, we need to have his son or one of his grandsons take up leadership. And the other one said, no, we need to have a political leader take up leadership. And they fought back and forth. But, but this, despite all of that, it became a world religion. Now this makes sense. We understand how this could happen. The civil rights movement. Here in America, there was some unrest. Our country was divided over racism. People were wrestling about how African Americans should be treated and if they should be granted the same freedoms that other people had. 
And, and, and they were fighting for these freedoms and that they deserved. And there was this unrest in our nation. People said things. People promised things. There was great division. And, and different leaders emerged. But eventually there was one leader that emerged. Martin Luther King Jr. He left his very uh, distinguished career as a teacher and as a pastor in Boston. He moved right to the heart of racial tension in Montgomery, Alabama. He was a great communicator. He was a great leader. He put together words and sentences and speeches that we all still remember today. We can't hear the words, I have a dream, without thinking of Martin Luther King Jr., he inspired people, and now the civil rights movement had a leader, someone that they could relate to. He took some old ideas about freedom and everyone being created equal, but he mixed it with new ideas of nonviolence. And his friends admitted prior to this time, there was times where they weren't nonviolent. They had used violence, but now Martin Luther King was saying, no. We are going to change the culture of the United States of America, but not using violence. And people rallied behind him. And then in 1968, he was killed violently. But this was not the end of the movement. It impacted people. People rallied together even stronger than before. And eventually, the United States of America began to wake up and started passing laws that would give people equal freedoms. The old way of thinking was started, they started leaving that behind. And the United States is a different place because of that. It's a fascinating and a wonderful story. We should all know this story, but it makes sense. But we take that same pattern and we apply it to Christianity and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No historian can take this formula and, and apply it and say that it explains the rise of Christianity. It's a great mystery. But yet, here we are today, 2,000 years later. One-third of the world's population is serving Christ. We know that this small, tiny group of, of believers, they somehow survived the first century. They somehow survived the persecution of the Roman Empire. They somehow survived Judaism, and they begin to multiply. And little gatherings, little churches began to spring up around the Mediterranean rim. And then, boom, 2,000 years later, here we are. We know it happened, but how in the world did it happen? How in the world did it happen? See, it doesn't match the pattern that brings change to our culture. The reason that we can't view the rise of Christianity the same way that we view these others is because of Jesus' message. His message was actually the problem. Because Jesus never advocated liberation. He never said, we need to take this group of people and we need to liberate them, set them free. He never said, uh, let, let's, start a, 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 um, let's start a revolution. He never said, let's revolt against the Roman Empire. Let's fight against them and start something new. In fact, people tried to pit Jesus against Rome. They said, well, what do you think about these Romans? And Jesus' message was simple. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. They, people said, well, what about this new kingdom you're going to bring? What about this new kingdom? And Jesus says, oh, my kingdom? My kingdom is not of this world. They're like, you're nuts. Like, what do you mean? It's not of this world. This makes no sense. Pilate interviewed Jesus. Pilate was trying to, to, to come up with a reason that they should kill and crucify Jesus. And Pilate, 
This Roman official comes out and says, seriously, guys, I cannot find anything that he did wrong. I cannot find any reason to convict him and give him the death penalty. He's not that revolutionary. He doesn't have new ideas that's threatening the order of things. So the Jews would question him. But he wasn't really threatening their Jewish law either. He wasn't messing with their traditions. In fact, he encouraged people to keep the Jewish law. And in some cases, he even raised the standard of the law. There was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of of a revolution. The other problem is that Jesus' message was about Jesus. Jesus' message was about Jesus. This is what set him apart from everyone else. Other prophets, they had great teachings, great ideas, but Jesus really talked about himself a lot. This is the primary problem. See, Jesus never asked his followers to trust his ideas. Jesus never said, trust in my teachings, never said, trust in my parables or my revolutionary thoughts. He said, trust in me. See, this is the problem. And this is what makes Christianity unexplainable except for what we celebrate this weekend. There was one day where Jesus and his disciples, they were outside of the city of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was named after Caesar. And obviously everyone knew who Caesar was. And in Matthew 16... Starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do you say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he asked them, But who do you say I am? So Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the son of the living God. Now, Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, Peter. Let's not get ahead of ourselves there, buddy. I might be a great prophet, but I'm not the Messiah. No, no, I'm not not the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Why? Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You you got it right, Peter. Good job. But you didn't figure this out on your own. You only figured it out because God showed you that. When Jesus came into the public eye, one of the very first things that he did was he went to see John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist sees him off in the distance, he doesn't say, Behold, the one who is going to explain to us about forgiveness. Behold, the one who is going to explain the Lamb of God. Behold the one who is going to explain eternity. No, look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 29. Then the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, What? Look, the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. The problem with Jesus' message was that it wasn't about ideas. It was, I mean, it wasn't about how, I mean, he talked about how to treat others, but that wasn't the central part of his message. The central part of his message was all about himself. He was the center of his own message. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. Now, if the writers that wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the New Testament, if they could have left this story out, they would have, because this story made Jesus look bad. And they're probably saying, how do we, how do we tell the story? Man, Jesus, you know, he's just kind of insensitive here. But he did raise a guy from the dead, so we better tell the story. But because see, what happens is Jesus, he's, he's, he's out and he's teaching and all, and then his friends come and say, your 
your buddy, Lazarus, you know, Lazarus, he's sick and about to die. Would you come to him? And Jesus says, eh, I'll get there eventually. And then he gets there several days later, and Lazarus is deader than a doornail. And then, and then Lazarus' sisters, they come out to him. And they said, Jesus, you are late. This, this is your fault. You didn't answer our prayers. Now Jesus, he doesn't say, okay, let, let me explain to you about life after death. Let me explain to you about, about the resurrection. Let me explain to you about faith in God. Let me teach you some, some principles. Let me give you some good ideas and things to think about in this time of sadness. No, in John eleven twenty five, Jesus told her, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in my ideas, he who believes in my parables, he who believes in, in the things I teach, he who believes in these res- revolutionary thoughts that will impact culture, no, he who believes in me will live even after dying. He's like, I'm not here to tell you about it. I'm not here to explain it to you. I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, and you have that life. See, the problem with Jesus is he kept talking about Jesus. Over and over, he kept talking about himself. He was at the center of his own message. Later on, there was a conversation that Jesus was having with his followers, and it was about God, and it was getting really confusing. And and they're like, God, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus, he didn't say, let me explain to you more about God. Let me explain to you how God works. Let me teach you another story. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse 9. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? And then he goes on and says, Has anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? These aren't the words of a prophet. These aren't the words of a great teacher. These are the words of someone who's claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show it to you? This is important, and especially if you don't believe in Jesus. Or maybe maybe you believed at one point in your life, and, and you've walked away from it. Because see, Jesus' disciples, they never say that they, that Jesus came to leave a collection of teachings. The disciples never say, oh, he came to, to teach us a nice way to live. Some parables, some stories that we can tell each other to pass on to the next generation. The problem was the message. Jesus wasn't just trying to overturn a culture. He wasn't trying to liberate a group of people. No, he kept talking about himself. But here's the crazy thing. When Jesus died, their hopes died with him. There was no followers gathering around saying, let's take these teachings and keep it alive. We, we want to pass this on to the next generations. Why? Because Jesus was so central to what he talked about, there was nothing to pass on. All these things that he said, and now he's dead? He must have been wrong. There was nothing to pass on. Jesus' teachings no longer made sense when Jesus died. When he died, there was no one who believed that Jesus was the Messiah anymore. No one that believed his claims. 
Unlike other leaders, Muhammad died, Martin Luther King died, people rallied together. Let's take the teachings and spread it. Let's keep it going. When Jesus died, the movement died with him because he was the movement. He was, he was the, the, the center of his message. It wasn't about principles and parables and ideas. It was about Jesus. Another interesting thing is if you think about these people that give us the stories of Jesus. Before Jesus was crucified, his closest followers all abandoned him. They abandoned him. They're like, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. They're gone. They all ran. They split. The very people that, that told us the story about Jesus, when they write about themselves, they write about themselves as if they're cowards. Let me tell you, if you're going to write a story, especially if it's going to be fictitious, and you're going to write yourself into the story, you're probably not going to write yourself as the coward, are you? And when we watch a movie, we're not like, yeah, I relate with those cowards there. No, we're going to figure out a way to put ourselves in as the hero. But they, they wrote it. They admit that they all ran away when Jesus was arrested. Peter, remember we just talked about Peter, the one who said, you are the son of God. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. This is the same Peter. And he runs. And then later he's kind of trying to sneak back in and he's by a fire and a little girl comes and says, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? Not only does, Jesus, uh, does Peter not stick up for Jesus, he's like, I don't even know the guy. I'm just warming my hands. Three times Peter totally denies Jesus. We look at that as, as some crazy, horrible thing Peter did, and it was, but it's because they gave up. They gave up. The movement died with him. There was no Christians at the cross. There was no followers after the crucifixion. Why? Because messiahs don't die. You can't kill the Son of God. He said he was the resurrection and the life, but now he's dead. He's crucified. So the question is, is how in the world are we here after he was killed? 2,000 years later, how does a third of the world's population call his name and claim that he is Lord and the Messiah? How did this crazy movement survive when he died? Well, Easter solves history's greatest mystery. And here's how it unfolded. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. See, men had wrapped the body of Jesus for burial. And the women knew, if the men did it, we need to go and fix it, right? <laughs> so, so they're there, they're there. We're, we're going we're gonna to straighten out whatever these guys did. But they were a little worried because they didn't know how to move the stone. Now, they had wrapped the body very quickly because once the sun set, they, they didn't want to be unclean by touching a, a body, then they couldn't celebrate the Passover. But Mary Magdalene is very, very, very important to the story. In fact, the writers would have taken it out if it was possible. Why? Because in that era, in that time, the words that a woman said were not very credible. In fact, a woman could not even testify in a court of law. They wouldn't even listen to it because they said, man, it's not credible. So here's the thing. If, if these, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if they could have written it differently, they would have written it differently because it discredited the account. 
It would have looked much better if, if a man had found it. But no. Now, do you know why it says the women were there first? Because the women were there first. That's why it says it, because that's what happened. That's the only reason in John 20, verse 2. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She said, what? They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Notice what she didn't say? She didn't say, he's alive, he's alive, he's risen from the dead. She said, no, they've they've taken his body. The thing we need to understand is there was no countdown. You know, there wasn't a group of people gathered outside of the room going, 10, 9, 8, 7, he is alive, you know. There was no band. They, They didn't have campfires and tents set up waiting. There was no floats coming by. There was no grand procession. Nobody was there. The writers admit, when we saw Jesus getting killed, when we saw that he was dead, we thought he would stay dead. The women, they didn't assume that he was resurrected. They didn't assume that he was alive. And Luke tells us how the men responded in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. It says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. The men were like, they didn't think it was the resolution, or the resur- resurrection. They're like, you guys are crazy. No wonder you're not allowed to give a testimony in court. I mean, they, what did you do? Just make this up? They thought they were absolutely crazy. In John chapter 20, verse 3, it says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the other disciple, this is John talking about himself, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Verse 5, he stooped and he looked in and he saw the, linens wrap, the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? Because it was a tomb. People don't want to just walk into a tomb. Verse 6, so then Simon Peter arrived. And Simon Peter was like, I don't care if it's a tomb. He just goes right in. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Verse 8. It says, Then the disciple, this is John again, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and, what's it say? And he saw and believed. Here's John. John had spent three years with Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He had seen the multiplying of the the fish and the loaves. He had seen Lazarus get brought to life again. He had heard all the teachings. He had heard all the parables. He heard all the stories. But when did John believe? It was at the empty tomb. It says he looked in and he saw. And he believed. See, the the followers of Jesus, they didn't re-engage with his with, with, with Christianity and with Christ because of something that Jesus taught, they re-engaged because of someone that they saw, Jesus. The, these are cowards. They ran, they bailed on Jesus when he was dying, and yet they go out into the streets of Jerusalem and they start to preach. But they're not teaching the principles that he taught. They're not teaching the parables. They're not teaching the love of Jesus. Acts tells us what happened after the resurrection. In fact, a new series on TV is coming out called AD, and, and this is supposedly following the years after the resurrection. I don't know how it is, but it starts today. 
But it says they went out into the street and they, of Jerusalem preaching and they had a four-point message. The four points were this. You guys killed him. God raised him from the dead. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry. That was their message. Now, now Peter said it this way. Remember we just talked about Peter a little while ago. And Peter is the one who said that, that this was God. And then he went and he denied him. He ran. He fled. He was a coward. Acts 3.15 says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. We saw this with our own eyes. And people believed them. People all over believed them. and said, Yeah, you're right. What should we do? We killed him. But we believe you. There's just too many people that say that, that they saw him. And in Acts 2.38, Peter replied. He said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've been considering following Christ, if you've been considering putting your faith in Christ, today is the absolute best day to do it. Some of you think, well, if I, if I die and there is a judgment day, I got it all planned out. I'll just tell God, I'm not that bad of a person. I never hurt anybody. I did a lot of good things. I tried really hard. But instead of depending and trusting on what we did or did not do, the challenge is to consider putting that faith and trust into Jesus Christ. If you've ever considered putting your trust into Jesus, today is the day to do it. Because the resurrection solves History's greatest mystery. How did Christianity survive? How did they survive the persecution of the early church? And now a third of the world's population calls him Lord. Not because it was a group of people that said we should keep his teachings alive. Because when Jesus died, there was no believers. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. But what re-engaged his followers wasn't his teachings. It was his resurrection. This solves history's greatest mystery. And it also shows the point of his crucifixion. It was the forgiveness of sin. What does this mean for us? If you're a Christian, this means that our hope is not in vain. Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life, and we can believe that we will see him again one day. Why do we believe that Jesus told the truth? I say, hey man, if a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I just go with whatever he says. You know, the, the disciples, Matthew and John and Bartholomew and Peter, and even James, Jesus' own brother, they, they, they say, they show up and they say, We believed in Jesus, yeah, but then he died and we didn't believe anymore. But then we believed again. Not because of the teachings, but because they saw a resurrected Jesus. See, this is why it doesn't matter if you've had a bad church experience in your past. This is why it doesn't matter if you say, well, you don't know that this, this businessman I tried to do business with, and he said he was a Christian, he was just crooked. It doesn't matter what you saw in your Christian home growing up. 
It doesn't matter if, if you've seen some hypocrisy in the church or from people that call themselves followers of Christ. This is why it doesn't matter if we have prayers that go unanswered from time to time. And it doesn't matter how disappointed we are with God. This weekend is a chance for, for you to give Jesus Christ another look, another glance. Not because of his teachings, but because he claimed to die for your sins. And he rose again, and he was seen by those that knew him best. And in Acts, we see that over 500 people saw Jesus after the death and resurrection. And many of these people died. This is very important. Many of the people died not for something they believed in. People do that all the time. A lot of people die for what they believe in. They died for what they saw. They died for what they saw. I saw him alive. They saw the resurrected Savior. If you're on the fence of giving giving Christ your life, putting your faith in Jesus, maybe you're on the sidelines. You're just thinking about it, maybe considering it. There's no better time than now, than Easter. Easter solves history's greatest mystery. I'm going to invite you in a moment to follow me in a prayer. Now, this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you say it with your mouth, that you'll be saved. It's really an act of faith and trust. But it gives us a chance that we can simply express that, God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus died for me but he rose again and I transfer my trust from whatever it is I've been trusting in I transfer that trust to Jesus I'm placing my faith entirely on Jesus to forgive my sins which is what John wrote about in John 3.16 for this is how God loved the world he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believed in his ideas who believed in his teachings, who believed in his parables. No, for, whoever, for everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We know Jesus was a great teacher, but that's not what makes Easter so great. We know that he told some good stories, and that's all fine. But we know that he's Savior because he was, not just because he was crucified even, but because he rose again rose from the dead and he was seen by those around and I would encourage you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit right now and put your faith in Christ we're going to pray if you want to bow your heads close your eyes that's fine but if you want to just look up with your eyes open that's fine too I want to say a prayer I invite you if you want to say it out loud you can you can say it quietly you can rewrite the words and say whatever whatever it is that you want but let's pray and put our faith in Christ Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sin. And thank you for bringing him back to life again. And that's why I believe he's Lord. I transfer my trust to Jesus Christ. I'm placing my faith in you to forgive my sin.
Heavenly Father, thank you for each person that's here, and I ask you to bless them. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and to bring him back to life again. We are so grateful for all you've done. Help us to serve you and follow you, our risen Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.